Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. On this week's episode, we're reflecting on our favorite dishes of 2022, and there are definitely some surprises in there. And it's fun to look back and also see like how these dishes are going to carry us into the new year. We also want to let you know, we're going to be taking a couple weeks off for the holidays and to regroup and rest. And we hope you all have a beautiful holiday season. We'll be back in January with brand new episodes. We can't wait to share them with you. Happy holidays and a happy new year. Stay tuned for more. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Sonia. Sonia, I'm so excited for this conversation today. It's really fun to wrap up a year, actually, totally. and have space to reflect. Yes. And you had sort of presented this idea, like, what if we talk about our three Wait, best- I thought this was your idea. You're totally right. It's so funny. Like, it was I your know, idea. I, no I love longer how we, know. we go back and forth. Who's granola? Who had the granola recipe? Who had the? Who came up with the latke idea? Like, it's like we- <laughs> it's, it's very likely like you're transmitting your ideas to me and back and forth in it. So it doesn't really matter. So yeah. It doesn't I matter. We're food friends. Apparently, and say, Harry, <laughs> why don't we talk about our three favorite things we ate this year? And that's all we've talked about so far. We just established, let's talk about it. Yeah. And that kind of opens up some questions because like we never put parameters around we this. We had no parameters, but I want to throw, I want to throw out one, which I was initially going to put like a boundary around this that was like, because we're a podcast that talks about home cooking, we talk about what we cook in our kitchens mostly. This should be about what are are the things that we cooked in our kitchens. Right. And then I realized that's too restrictive for me because part of what I've learned from you and part of what I really get out of going out to eat or eating other people's food is the inspiration of experiencing someone else's food and then having that experience change the way that I cook at home. Totally. It's like, it's so interesting because we don't cook in a bubble, right? And when I was like reflecting on this, like three best things, I also had that question pop up. Am I supposed to choose only things from my kitchen? Am I supposed to choose anything? only things I made? And when I was scrolling through my photos of the year, right? Like looking I at did the life, same thing. Right. Yes. I was like, I started with January. Okay. Yes. What are the things that I've eaten? Me too. Yeah. And- I was realizing like everything that I love the most, even the things I made in my kitchen were kind of inspired by someone else. Like they were new things to me. So even though I love, I have photographs of things I make all the time and I still love those dishes. It's like the standouts are the ones that were new to me. Yeah. Like, you know how you make like your favorite pasta dish or whatever. So it's like, what are the standout things that have stuck in your mind that are special or the things that you tasted that you were like, okay, how do I make this at home? Or with the things that I have, right? Yeah. So I so then we didn't establish parameters about like the order we're going to talk about this in. So are we starting from third favorite to first favorite? Is there no order because all the favorites? I'm not going to rank mine. I re- I refuse to rank. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to pick a favorite child. Um, I think my brain for my own brain, I have to think about it chronologically. Maybe that's just because of how I went through my pictures. I welcome that because I actually also don't really want to rank mine, okay. and I also don't want to pick my favorite you child. Sure? 
I really want to write. I feel like I feel like the you know the editorial pressure, the producerial editorial pressure is to be like top one, top three. But there's space that- for all of them. Totally. Like there can there can't be. You know, Mac and I had this debate a few days ago that was like, "What's your favorite food?" I was like, "Dude, you cannot get me to pick my favorite food." He was like, "Okay, top three. I'm like, first of all, you're six. Like, how are you even asking me this question?" And, yeah, to clarify, um, Mac is Carrie's son. Who's yeah, Carrie's sorry, son. Mac. Yeah, my son Mac, who is six, and it was like. If I like pizza, can I like burgers? Can I like them the same? You know, his favorite is like he wants he loves the cheeseburger. Which it's, cheeseburger do you it's like? Such a good point because I think the ranking implies there's a limited amount of love to give to something. And that's and just like, not true. No, about and I anything. can like the Shake Shack burger and I can like the fancy burger and I can like the burger that we make at home too. And all those mm-hmm. are good burgers. Or like you and I have these debates about pizza, you know, like oh my god. There oh. are endless amounts of kind of pizza that I like to eat. And so I refuse to choose. Endless. I just can't. I am so excited. First favorite of the year, not rain. Okay. My first favorite of the year starts with New Year's Day. Okay. So January 1, we are spending New Year's Day lunch with our friends and my friend John, he loves food and he very he's like a lover of Italian food. So he's always asking me about pasta because he's always try, he's always eating at Italian restaurants and wants to make those pasta dishes at home. So he said, Carrie, let's make spaghetti carbonara for New Year's Day lunch. And I was like, John, I never make spaghetti carbonara. I like stumped him because he was like, what? And my take is I like to have that made for me. I feel like spaghetti carbonara is the kind of dish that I want to have at a restaurant. It's absolutely one of Jonathan's favorite foods, my husband Jonathan's favorite foods. And I learned to make it early in our relationship. Oh my God. Did you make it at home though? I make it at home, not because you can't get amazing versions in restaurants, which I do, but because because what I learned in doing it, because that first intimidated me, because carbonara, you have to make a sauce with raw egg yolks and you're putting yeah. like hot pasta right into this like egg yolk mixture yeah. and you're worried it's going to curdle or get weird or maybe not cook enough. And somehow just doing it and realizing how amazing it is at home. And also I don't use pancetta because I don't use pancetta. So at home I can make like a right, vegetarian right. version. I just really fell in love with making it, but I haven't made it all year. So you're really inspiring me to actually make it again. Well, I sort of backed off of my initial, John, I'm not going to make spaghetti carbonara. Like so much of my, I love this conversation with him because he's such a good question asker. And then we do a lot of cooking together. I learn from it because I then I'm explaining it to him, Mm -hmm. to him, right? Like I know how to do it and I just, I can go through the motions, but then he asks such great questions. I'm like, wait, why do I do it that way? It's like what you and I talk about. Why do you make chicken broth this way? Well, I also make it this way and I also make it this way. And so what was interesting is how then when he and I started this conversation, up on my Instagram popped this video. We will link to her video. This recipe developer who I follow, and it just so happened that she created a video that just gave me the confidence that I needed to try it. We had spaghetti carbonara on New Year's Day, and it was delicious. Oh, I don't have to think about spaghetti carbonara in one way. Which someone who's making that at a restaurant has made it 25 times that night before it's reached me. And so they are like such an expert. It's like yeah, they're just making them over and over again. But did you find that your homemade carbonara was as good or better as the kind you've eaten in restaurants or were you kind of comparing it against it? Well, I think for me, it was delicious and we all loved it. And we like licked the pan clean, like four adults and two children. And we ate a whole pound of pasta and a whole pound of bacon. I think I used bacon and we ate it all. But I think part of me was like, yeah, I still like to have it at restaurants because then I'm not 
that like dealing with in the minute, right? A la minute is one of the things that people talk about at restaurants. And so it just felt like there was so much pressure on me to deliver it. And I'm glad that I did. But like, I am not proposing to do that at dinner parties at all. And for me, carbonara has become this thing that is a home dish, again, because we modify it to our liking. And it's almost like sometimes a home dish, it takes on its own qualities. Like it's never going to taste quite like the person who's made it 40 times yeah, a night. You like customize but, it. Yeah, but it's going to yeah. taste like it came out of your own pot on your own stove, which has its own appeal. Yeah. But it is it is a very a la minute recipe. Like you have to, like I said, you have to take raw eggs and Parmesan and you, a lot of people use pancetta or bacon and you can use actually like a mushroom if you want. And then you're just like immediately making a sauce with the freshly boiled pasta. Yeah. It has to all happen in seconds. And you just like hope it all turns out and inevitably it does. Well, let me ask you this because one of the things that I did that I think was not traditional is I put a lot of, I think I had either scallion, green onion, chive. I had some kind of green and I sprinkled that on and I really liked that. I liked having that brightness and freshness. So when you make it, because it's become a home dish for you, I know you and our listeners now know you as a showerer of herbs. Like there are always herbs in your kitchen. (laughs) No dill on my carbonara. Just Okay. (laughs) But But yours is vegetarian, so it would actually be delicious with dill, wouldn't it? I totally would. Now I'm going to have to try it with dill. But I usually usually add fresh parsley. Okay. A good amount of fresh parsley. I love the idea of chives. It's not traditional. You're right. But it certainly works. And you know what I think would work is basil, even though that might be sacrilegious. Right. Well, I'm sure. Like that's what – and that's what we're also talking about here is like the difference between going to like an authentic Italian restaurant where they're they're honoring like the traditional Traditional. version of the dish and then – it's funny that you said you would add parsley because my friend Annie hates parsley. So I would not add parsley to that because I knew that she would need it. I'm kind of shook that someone hates parsley. I've never oh, heard of that. She has a strong opinion about it. Wow. All right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I love carbonara as a start to the year. My first start of the year came a little later. You know, there's this time, everyone thinks as middle winter is like the worst time for produce or the, like the darkest time of year, especially in the Northwest. But here in the Northwest, I would say the most challenging month is actually March, maybe February, March, because you actually have a lot of beautiful produce through the end of January, really. Like the incredible root vegetables, incredible greens, all winter squashes are still there, mushrooms, there's all this stuff. But there's this like window of time between end of winter and the early spring when like peas and the favas and the, the new green. They haven't come yet. They haven't come yet. The spring, right. the wriggle, they haven't arrived. You're cycling through this end of the storage crops and like the hardier, tough, bitter greens are there. So, okay. So that time of year is like a tricky time. And I was at someone's house for dinner in early spring, our very good friends. And during this time when it's during, like the sort of during time. the transitional yeah. season time, and they had leeks that were growing. You can grow them at different times. Yeah. They had all these leeks that they needed to use up. And their daughter made this incredible braised leek dish that was so, so simple. And we'll link the recipe. I think it's even from like Simply Recipe. <laughs> taking leeks and like it's the kind of thing where you're like I've made a lot of leek dishes in my life I love leeks so much I love leeks yes. I've done them in a hundred different ways they're like the most beautiful gentle onion flavor so and gorgeous. I love the the I love the texture of them too absolutely and yeah. so and you know when it's just like a revelation you're like holy cow like I didn't know this thing could taste like that Blew your mind yeah yeah so it's just it's just leeks that you have I think you brown them first like in butter and oil 
Wait, you have them – so leeks are, are shaped like a baton. Yeah, you have you them lengthwise. lengthwise. Yeah. okay. They're so dirty. Clean you them. need to have them lengthwise so you can clean them well. Right. So, so if you ha- have it lengthwise, then you can kind of pull apart the leaves and get out any residual grit or okay. you can soak them in water. And then once they're clean and dried off, you brown them in a little butter and oil and then you braise them really simply. You could do it with water or with vegetable stock or with chicken stock. So on the stovetop, you brown them in the oil – and butter. Then you add liquid to it, water, stock. So you're like basically com- creating a pan sauce. You create a, a decent amount of liquid. Okay. Like we would have braised meat. And then you, I added per their suggestion, t- fresh thyme and bay leaf. And I think that's it. And then you just put it in the oven and it slowly braises. And when it's done, the liquid is reduced into this very beautiful Rich sauce. sauce. Yeah. And then you have these like Again, jammy kind of leeks. They're really soft and tender and eaten with like a roast chicken, fish, pretty much anything, even with some quinoa or grains. Like they become almost. I feel like I would want to put that on a piece of bread. (laughs) Or a piece of really. No, we had like a crusty bread. Yes, the next morning, I think she put it on toasted sourdough with like an egg on top. Stop it. That sounds insane. So good. So that was really one of the best things I ate all year. Like I said, in the dark days of winter, that's when you pull out the leeks. Yeah, there's always something going on. There's always something. Wow. In the garden, if you're a grower, or we're, we're fortunate enough to live in places where you can grow something most of the year, you know. Yeah, but both of these things that we're talking about, my carbonara dish and your leek dish, these are these are things that are accessible in any grocery store. Absolutely, you know? I know. Um, and leeks are you can find a leek anywhere. So it's yeah. just, I agree with you. It's kind of fun to start the year with like a simple dish that's probably been made for like hundreds of years. Oh yeah, and have that be the thing that we both remember as like one of the best bites. So yeah. okay. I love that. Okay, number two for me is a little bit of a category. I'll acknowledge that. So my category is car picnics. And one thing that we sort of realized about our family in the pandemic is that we, I mean, I think this sort of came out of necessity. It was like when you couldn't go to restaurants, but you wanted to eat there or you wanted to get food from there. And so we would open up the back of our SUV and have like a car picnic. When there's nothing to do, we would drive to a restaurant, take out, and then eat there. Yeah. Um, but in our car. And one of the things that we've we've been doing is we keep a picnic blanket back there. So like if Mac drops scrambled eggs out of his you know, breakfast burrito <laughs> that like we can easily clean it. We're not like, right. you know, that's smart. not getting into the back of the car. But also we keep a little bag of extra silverware and napkins and even some like hot sauce in there in case we need it. And so I think as a category, when I was going back through my pictures, I was thinking about a couple of really fun road trips that we did. One that was over spring break where we drove to the Redwoods in Northern California and we stopped in Healdsburg, which is maybe six hours from us. And we had breakfast at this little cafe. And then we also took a pie from this place. And then we drove it up to this rural space in the Redwoods. We were meeting with friends. And, you know, it just reminded me of like, when you keep this picnic blanket in your car and all, and the things that you need, you can kind of stop anywhere along the way, not necessarily at a fast food place, but like at a local place. And you can have like a taste of your local place that you're in. And just also finding like new ways to enjoy the things that are part of our everyday lives. Like, this new way to have a picnic, like 
yeah, it sucks that we aren't eating in restaurants as much or we aren't doing thing, traveling the same way we used to or as much as we used to. And then finding these new ways to have these memorable experiences. It also made me think about how our best things we eat is so tied to place, environment, and yeah. company. It's yeah. so much often less about what you're eating, but how and who you're eating it with. Totally. Well, and part of this trip too was, you know, the Redwoods are a remote place. And so the Airbnb that we rented was actually a working farm in outside of a very small town. And we were staying there for a few days and our friends, we had decided that we were going to cook together. And so part of this trip for us was also like hitting spots along the way. And one of the menus that we had talked about executing once we were at the farmhouse was like a dumplings menu. When I was sort of plotting out our trip, I was like, okay, so we're driving through San Francisco. I found like an Asian market that I had never been to before. And we stopped there at like 8.30 in the morning and we bought dumplings and kimchi and all, all these things that we needed for our menu. Then when we were eating at our you know, at the farmhouse, part of the story of that was like all the places that we had all stopped along the way because I picked up things on the way and then my other two friends picked up things on the way. And then we brought them to this this common space and created meals together. And dumplings I and learned meals. That from you. Yeah. I mean, and there's a whole world of dumplings, yes. all the different dumplings from all the different places. But yeah, I feel like you're looping your whole trip into one meal, which I love because I feel like that is like my favorite meal was this whole experience. And that Makes sense. I do have a question. Did you eat pie in the car? And if so, what kind of pie? We didn't eat the pie in the car. That was, we went to this bakery and we, like, this is a fun story because it speaks to something special that we did over this year. But there are countless stories of our family driving to just like Silver Lake or driving to Santa Monica and doing the exact same thing in the back of our car. And I think it's just fun. It's fun. We now, you know, Mac will say, well, can we just have a car picnic tonight? And it's like, yeah, we, we do that pretty often and it's really fun. I love that. And you know, it's a great segue to my number two, not ranked in order. Wait, don't tell me that you also do car picnics. I do, but that's not, wasn't my number two. Okay, tell but, me your number two. But Sorry. we do. I keep a picnic blanket in my car and we often use it. We often, especially, I mean, obviously it's warmer in California than here. So our car picnics are a little more seasonal because it's not as fun, you know, in the middle of winter, winter. but I, and I guess sometimes we move out of the car too. We sit on the grass, but I love having a picnic blanket in my car at all times for exactly this reason. It's like picnic anywhere, anytime. And the pandemic definitely brought more picnics into our life, which I'm a huge fan of. Okay. So, but the segue is that experience and place is so part of what makes something a memorable meal. And so one of the best things I ate all year where, so my friend Javier is a farmer and he used to have a farm at the farmer's market. He used to have a stand at the farmer's market. I used to buy things from him. And he started to turn that farm into a nonprofit educational place called Capasas. And the farm is called Anahuac. And he's an indigenous Mexican farmer and he's teaching other indigenous, you know, Mexican Latin American communities about farming. And he's growing the three sisters, which is corn and squash and beans. And he's also finding like plants, heirloom varieties that can grow here in the Northwest, but are still heirloom corn varieties, heirloom squash, heirloom beans. So he had, they had a fundraiser meal and there was this stew. It was called the Yiki stew, Y-I-K-I. And it was a corn-based kind of porridge 
stew. Okay. That was corn that was like infused with chilies, but also they used avocado leaves in this dish. Wow. And then it yeah, and then it was topped with barbacoa lamb and topped with radishes and I think fresh onion and some herbs like cilantro. Let me ask you, so was it more like a pozole when you get that's very brothy or is it more like a corn chowder that's like thick? It's neither. It was almost like a polenta base like it was wow. like a porridgey corn grit or like yeah, like a literal porridge that's very yes. thick yes but that almost topped, oh, right. topped with like a braised meat like shredded meat and you could have had it vegetarian so the focus really was this mixture of corn that was prepared and they have an outdoor kitchen and they're using traditional methods of cooking for all of these dishes and this was also eaten outside which i think like eating a meal outside also has its yeah. own it adds right? to the experience of it yeah. right and it was just something were, you said that they were also cooking it like in front of you. They had a an oven that they had built, like a clay oven. And then they like also for the event? An oven that they had built for this event? For their community kitchen on okay. their oh, at, wow. the, at the location of Capasas, which is the nonprofit, which is like okay. the educational center. And then they also have farmland. And that was part of the fundraiser was raising for this. They were finalizing owning farmland. So they now own many acres of land. It's really incredible. So and they're so this, farming this land and yes. then harvesting what they farmed and then yes. cooking the food on the land as well. Well, at place. a different property, but it's a community property. Like it's a community space. And so there's a community outdoor kitchen that's like covered, but outdoors. And then they have also like a grill that they've set up and they cook over wood wow. and great. So like an open sort of stove or barbecue, I don't, you know, or grill, however you want to describe it. And on that, there were pots of simmering things and also okay. the grilling of, you know, tortillas or meats. Wait, so I want to go back to the dish though, because I want to understand understand. Please forgive me if I'm, I don't want to dumb it down, but it's like, is it kind of like a risotto? Like it's this creamy, yes, you said like a polenta. So like a polenta, because I don't know that polenta is something that everybody knows. And I always feel kind of confused about polenta because you can also make like lenta squares. Like if you've had grits, which is also kind of polenta. Yes. Okay. It's like you're taking corn, you're taking dried corn that's ground into cornmeal, like, but a very, a very textured cornmeal, not finely ground. Right. And then I guess it's cooked slowly, I imagine, with you know arom- certain aromatics. And like I said, the chili and the avocado leaf. And then it gets topped with things. So topped okay. with radish, topped with onion, topped with herb, topped with meat. And a but chili then the barbaco- oil. And with this barbacoa. And barbacoa and salsa. And salsa. Okay, so barbacoa is... Barbacoa is a braised oh, meat. Um, no, it can be different meats. In this case, it was lamb. It was a barbacoa okay. lamb. It's a, lamb it's a style of like a right. very slow cooked meat and then it's like tender and shreddy and you know very rich in flavor so this dish is basically like this beautiful offering of like a a grits kind of creamy porridge with this really rich savory meat and then these other fresh crunchy elements like radishes onions and salsa yes and Javier made the most incredible salsa it was his mother's recipe made with tomatillo so really like green and tomatillo salsa. a tomatillo salsa oh, wow very green and bright and flavorful and you know it's just like those it was just such a memorable meal because it really was home cooking this wasn't a restaurant this was a community space where many different people were preparing the food together to serve to the community and to the people who were guests it just is so exciting to try anything new and in a new place it was so clearly made with love you could really taste that and it was just a special event because it was also like a way for them to show what they're doing with the support 
support they're receiving. And it wasn't just the meal. They were also teaching us about like what they were growing. They were showing us all the different kinds of corn, the way that corn was being used in all these different ways throughout the meal. So this was just one dish in the meal, but the whole meal was a celebration of the of corn yeah and the translation of those flavors i have never experienced a dish like this but i've come to a creamy polenta i've had like a creamy risotto i've had grits i think about those dishes from like a very dairy cheesy kind of point of view and so the idea of piling this rich meat and then these really acidic elements right like tomatillos are by definition a very acidic you know it's sort yes. of it's like a green tomato the acidic part of that plus like the radishes and the onion it's like those are other great dimensions of flavors that I'm very interested in experiencing. That sounds delicious. And then, yeah. then the other part of the experience, which I appreciate your segue, is like the location that you're eating it in. And so, Absolutely. you know, not to take it back to my what my share of the car picnics, but it's like I don't know that there was anything like life changing about the breakfast sandwich that I ate in Healdsburg, but it's like it was a leg of our trip. And that's what makes it really special. Yeah. This is the sandwich of the place. Yeah. I- I'm loving that we both had these experience-based number twos. That's not a good segue. Our second most delicious meals of the year were were very similar in nature. Yeah. Okay. Um, Moving on to number three. Yeah. Um, Our third most delicious meals. So, you know, this one was very clear to me. Like this was immediately on my list because it just happened recently. And that is that I had crispy fried turkey legs at Thanksgiving. Oh my goodness. And that happened as a result of this conversation of conversations between us because well, because we- of our Thanksgiving episode because of ran- our Thanksgiving episode. Yes. So in our Thanksgiving episode, we talked with Lauren Miller Rogan and Seth Rogan about Thanksgiving dinner, which I usually spend with them, and Seth went on this long Yes. Discussion of how turkeys, like not things that you have in a restaurant and like, why aren't we deep frying the turkey? And, you know, I really had some like sort of chef questions about like, if a fried chicken leg is like something so delicious, like why aren't more people, like when you go to places like Disney World or whatever, you see people walking around those roasted turkey legs, right? But I've never seen them deep fried. Yes, we talked about this. We talked like about why aren't people frying turkey? Yeah. Like chicken. And why and- aren't we like Seth was like, well, why like it's his point, which I think was a good one, is like a turkey is a big bird. And so it's a bit unwieldy, right? It's like, yeah. you know, and and I will say, as the carver of the turkey, I dropped a turkey leg on the floor, like of the carved wow. turkey that I was so, you know, it's just everywhere. It's it's yes. big, it's unwieldy. And so what our friends, Nick and Rafi, did. They are often the fryers, the turkey fryers. They have a whole setup that they do. And so what they did was they breaded and fried turkey legs and they were so crispy. I can't even tell you. They were so delicious. They were beautiful. They were perfectly burned. How many legs did they have though? Because this is like a group many. of- There were too many. They made so many. And and like I took a turkey leg, but it took up like half of my plate. And so <laughs> then I was like, I ate, I ate a lot of it. And then I like passed it over to James so that he could eat, my husband, so he could eat some of it. But you know, they, I think they cooked like 12 or something, which I think seemed like too many. They also took a lot of time, but I will 
will say in my judgment of this choice, they had never made deep fried turkey legs before and they could not have cooked them better. They were perfectly crispy, but also sort of make Seth's point, which is like, yes, the crispy outside was my favorite part. And yeah. like, I didn't eat very much of the meat because it's, yeah. like, it's not that great. It's not that fatty, doesn't have the best <laughs> flavor. And they had also taken an extra step. They like smoked it for a little while too. Wow. And it didn't have like a smoky flavor per se. Probably some dimension to it. It was a triumph. Wow. They were, they were this is such this. a great follow-up to that conversation. I was not expecting any news to come out of that meal. And I love that we get like a part two of that conversation. Yeah. And wow, it made and it to your list. It's like so brave of them. I think it's totally. so brave of them. First of all, like there was a little elbow jabbing. It was like, I got into some trouble with that episode. And they took that and they did something with it. And then they tried this huge thing. You know, that's a big stage. There were 50 people there, you know? So that's a big Amazing. stage. And if they had messed it up, you know, that would have been so sad. They hit a grand slam home run. And I, yeah. Um, my number three is something that was inspired by something I love, which is TikTok. You know no. that I love TikTok, right? Okay. Tell me more. Okay. I love TikTok. I was an early adopter. I've, I've been obsessed for a long time. And there's a lot of reasons I love TikTok. It's like the anti-Instagram in terms of like, it's not about perfectionism. It's not about beauty. It's very much like people just cooking in messy ways and there's splatters everywhere and whatever, but you're just fascinated. And so I love food on TikTok. And there's this one creator, content creator called Romina Says Wow. That's her handle. And she went Wait, viral. Romina, like Romina says wow. Ramina says wow. I believe I'm saying that right. It's R-A-M-E-N-A says wow. That's the name of her. She has a channel and one of her recipes went viral. She's like a, I think she's like a caterer. She does some cooking professionally. And she was making a Middle Eastern, what's called a crinkle cake. And it's taking phyllo dough and you, and she would have like a nine by 13 disposable aluminum kind of pan. And she would take phyllo dough, crumple it up, and then she pours like a custard over it. And then it goes into the oven. We'll, we'll link the actual process of her cake. And so basically, then she covers it with syrup. And it's kind of a play on baklava, but it's really more of a cake than baklava. It's not like honey centric. So what it is, is like there's actual milk like and eggs and custard. So the bottom layer is like a soft cake. And the top layer is like that it's crispy, crispy phyllo dough and phyllo. then covered in syrup. And you can make different flavors. She makes all these versions of it. The recipe went viral because it's very simple, very fun, very beautiful, okay. obviously delicious. But you and, made it. That's what you're going to tell well, me. Well, no. And then so I started researching the style of cake and I had found ruffle pies. And I actually knew about ruffle pies for a while because I'd seen a recipe in Bon Appetit from years ago. It was like a raspberry ruffle milk pie. And I was, okay. I clocked yeah, it. I have no idea. Tell okay. I, so I clocked it and I was like, I love this. So basically, it's a Greek recipe. I mean, there's versions of this in the Middle East, in Iran, and in Greece. And it's the same idea all around. It's taking phyllo dough, you crumple it up, you like basically bake the phyllo dough till it gets a little bit browned, and then you pour a custard over it, okay. and then you ba- finish baking it. And once it's out of the oven, you pour a syrup over it. So it could be a honey syrup, it could be any kind of infused syrup. And so for Rosh Hashanah this year, I developed a recipe that I wrote about, but I also made, which was this ruffle milk pie. So again, similar to a crinkle cake, but more like a Greek ruffle pie. 
and made it with apples and honey because apples and honey is what you traditionally eat for the Jewish New Year. And right. so this is what I developed for the Jewish New Year, which was what if we took apples and honey? So I did the little ruffles of phyllo and it looks almost like a flower when it's done. Oh, I feel like now I'm yes. having a memory of seeing this on your Instagram. Yes. It's like the most beautiful picture, but I had no, I have no context for this dish. It's so good. It was so good. That and it's sounds, so beautiful. That sounds so insane. And also such a showstopper. Now I remember that picture. And, and it's easy. This is why it's so sad that we're not neighbors anymore. I like I would have gotten, a, I would have gotten a piece of that pie delivered to my house for sure. If we still lived in town together, or I would There's, have come over like banging on your door. Well, for one, no question. For two, I had to test recipes. So I delivered a whole, there were many of them. Yeah, I delivered a well, whole bunch to my neighbor. Portland is what yes, happened. Yes. You know? But then I got the feedback that it was actually good and not you know, and worth sharing with others. So I would have so loved to have shared it with you. Oh man, I'm so sorry I missed it. Wow, that sounds so delicious. And how cool that you I'm confounded by TikTok. Like I don't I I these are yes. not my gifts. So <laughs> you might have to would help me into this place. But Oh yeah, there's a lot going on on cooking TikTok. It's my like, 12-year-old niece knows all about TikTok. Maybe she can help me. Oh, she could probably help you more than I can. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh this was such a fun recap of this the was year. A fun recap. I love that we did this and it was a fun way to sort of look back at what we ate and what we cooked and and how that informs like you know these bigger experiences like it speaks to where we are and who we're with you know know. it's and that's the thing it's like cooking to me is always a conversation we're always inspiring each other and especially when you can link it to where fired you like that connection's so deep it's like yeah and and then it becomes something new we just keep having this conversation you and I over it's always It's why we started this. It's like yeah. to have these conversations to have even more fun in the kitchen. Tracing the life of a dish is is this spider web that uh-huh. I think ultimately just cuts across the globe. You know, it's like how someone receives this one thing, you know, then the next person takes their experience and changes it a different way. And I think that's what is so uniting about food personally. It's so you know? special the way that yeah. good food speaks for itself. So good food speaks for itself. Yes. Uh, well, I'm so what, grateful um, for all these great dishes in 2022. What's 2023 going to hold for us? I'm really excited. I'm so excited too. All right. Well, happy new year. Happy new year. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you, so follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating. Happy cooking and eating.